Hello awesome people, I hope you're having an awesome day. As you've probably seen from the title, I have a guest with me today. And so we'll be talking mainly about mental health in both adults and teens, especially with PTSD and grief. We'll also be discussing how to find support and we'll also talk about support groups. And so before we start, it's also worth mentioning that the next episode, um, so episode 18, would be the last episode of this season. I will take a short, a really, um, a very little break, a very short break from this, and I'll be back in a few weeks. Hi, so today I'm here with Doug, and we're going to talk uh, quite a lot about his experience, and we're going to focus a lot about mental health and his experience with mental health. So if it's okay, would you like to introduce yourself? I sure can, and thank you for this great opportunity. My name is Doug Lawrence, and I am a international certified mentor. And I'm also a retired Royal Canadian Mounted Police Officer, having served for approximately 25 years. And as a result of that uh, time of service, I ended up with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And it has since been, I'll call it magnified with the passing of my wife in 2021. Okay, um, I'm very sorry about the passing of your wife. And so if it's okay, um, from like the form you submitted, I read that you have a book and something you write, so you wrote about a book and you wrote a book, um, I don't really remember the name, but I think you have two books. And if it's okay, would you like to talk about your books? I sure can. So I published uh, in 2014, I believe it is, the, the book was called The Gift of Mentoring. And it, it is basically the fundamentals of, of mentoring. And it was, it was uh, the reason it came to be was because of a number of my colleagues, my friends, and even a couple of my mentors said that, you know, you need to write a book. Uh, about all of this because all this mentoring you're doing you need to tell the story about mentoring so I did and and like I said I published that book in 2014 and then fast forward to 2000 and uh, 2022 I guess um, I published you are not alone um, or had had it published uh, you are not alone uh, in January of 2022 and it's a, it's a, it came to pass in much the same sort of fashion in that it was a, a group of my friends, my colleagues said, you know, with the work that you're doing, mentoring people that are dealing with, you know, mental health challenges and, and stuff like that, that uh, you should write a book about it. And so I started to do some research and I found out a number of things that were of great interest to me. And I thought they'd be also great to share with you know, with those readers, my followers that I had. So I wrote the book and had it published in January of uh, 2022. Yeah, that's really cool. And a lot of my other guests, they also have books, which I think it's really cool. And so writing is a really good way to really like escape from re reality kind of and to um, it does help your mental health. And so um, you just told me you have PTSD and I was wondering how you managed with it, how you manage it overall. 
in your life. And, and I can certainly touch on that. And, and I forgot to mention, but the, the title of the book, the second book is You Are Not Alone. And so that's, that was the, the title that uh, we came up with for, for the book. Um, how I've been dealing with post-traumatic stress is uh, I, I do a lot of peer-to-peer counseling where I go to group sessions or one-on-one sessions and, and deal with, with it some, somehow, some way like that. Um, a lot of it is, is having those resilient resilience factors that you can turn and rely on. So for me, up until uh, 2021, when my wife passed, uh, both her and and my children were the resilience factor that I relied quite heavily on. And um, I didn't realize the impact that um, my dealing with mental health and the changes in my behavior that came as a result of that I didn't really realize because I was so caught up in in just just me that I didn't realize the impact that that was having on my family. In fact, as I found out um, when I was actually uh, doing a workshop in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, was doing a workshop and I'd taken my wife, Deborah, with me and we had this, I was doing a bit of uh, I did a small segment on mental health and how it was important as a mentor to be cognizant or aware of that. And partway through the conversation, she uh, she made the statement, uh, and I'd never heard it before, where she said that, and he came very close to losing the three of us, and that, that kind of caught me off guard. And then I that was sort of the the wake up call I needed was that, you know, here we are were a close-knit family or so I thought, and yet I was tearing the family apart because I would resort to alcohol to mask my, my mental health challenges. And that was just making things worse instead of better. Yeah, because like um, for me, I'm a teen and obviously I'm not allowed to get my hands on the love. Like, like for example, alcohol, I'm I'm 13, I can't buy it yet, but I did try um, some, um, I'm on like um, antidepressants and they do help, but they get a little addicting and addictive, they're quite addictive. And I kind of like, it's like I'm another person when I take them. And for me, I also didn't notice that I, my mental health was like impacting my family, especially my parents and my sister. And she doesn't know a lot about that too because she's younger than me. So do you have any tips about how you should like come forward to um, parents and talk to friends about this kind of topic? Because it's always hard to talk to friends and family about mental health. You know, that's true. And there's also the stigmatism that, you know, if, if you've got mental health issues that you're, you know, people say you're obviously you must be crazy or something like that, right? And that's definitely not the case. The what I talk about in the in the book is that, you know, you you and I I liken it to I, I use the analogy of I'm in I'm in my closet where I feel safe and secure and but I'm not safe and secure and what I need to be able to do is to open the door and reach out and and ask for help 
and it's okay to ask for help. It's, you know, it, it doesn't do us any good if we just stay in the closet. So reach out and, and ask for help. And for those of us on the outside, when we see that door open and somebody reaches out and says, I need help, we need to be there to take their hand and say, I will walk with you. I will go with you on your journey of healing and I'll, I'll be with you as much as I possibly can in order to do that. Yeah, because um, like you said, like a lot of people deal with their mental health struggles differently. And I think I can say like, me and you were very different people and we live in like two like really different parts of the world and like complete opposite time zones but we both deal with our mental health um differently and it's the same for a lot of people we all deal with our mental health differently no matter the age the gender and like the race or anything and so that is really important for us to get help and like you said for me, my whole podcast, a lot of it is based on like there's no shame in getting help, um, getting help because there's like this huge stigma against like kids, especially teens and also adults and men um seeking help and asking for help. And sometimes like I'm a teen and adults think my life is really easy and I shouldn't even need help. And so I really agree with what you're saying and like getting help. There's really no shame in getting help help. And like you said, like coming out of that closet and finding someone and getting support. Most definitely. And the only person that you're actually hurting by not coming out and asking for help is you're hurting yourself. <laughs> and, you know, it's, a journey, the healing journey is so much easier when you go on it with somebody else. And, you know, that's kind of earlier at the, when we first started talking, I had made, you know, I had made reference to peer-to-peer -peer counseling and stuff like that. I, I'm part of a, a support group that there's only four of us in it. And we have bonded as people we've our, our our reason for coming together has caused us to develop a lot stronger relationships and we spent we met for lunch and we're spread out all over the province of Saskatchewan we're spread out and we all came together for a, a lunch here in the city that I live in and that was just through the power of you know the power of wanting to help each other make change your life make a difference all of those things that's that's what can happen if you know if people come out of the closet and and ask for help yeah because at the end of the day it doesn't matter really what problems we're facing and um the key to getting support i think really is that you want to get support and the person who who's getting support really wants it and sometimes it's hard for people, um, like especially people with like depression to get help because they feel like they're not worthy of that help and they don't deserve that help. And they're definitely not, um, they definitely deserve that help and they really should go and get help. And like, that's one of the main points I always talk about in my podcast is really getting help. Yeah, and it's, it's so, so important. 
Um, you know, and, and I see that in a lot of the people that I work with in with mentoring being part of their support structure for, for their mental health challenges, but is that, you know, getting them to appreciate that, that it's okay to ask for help. It's, you know, it, we typically have that stigmatism that it, you know, if you have to ask for help, that's a sign of weakness and all that sort of stuff. It's not, that's actually a sign of strength because yes. you're, you, you want it's self care, right? It's, it's all about self care. And if I don't take care of myself, nobody else will. And so then it's okay to reach out and, and ask for help. Yeah, because getting help is being strong and getting help is not being weak. It's completely the opposite. And so that's what I want to talk about is like, how do you go and get help and how um, do the, how does your support group help you manage your symptoms? Because I also have like, I have like really um, intrusive thoughts and a lot of really, um, I act really impulsively. And so a lot of my friends and my family and my parents have helped me with that. And how did your support group help you with your symptoms? You know, I, I look at it from sort of two aspects. I look at it from a few years ago when um, when my wife was still still alive and she was the sort of person that kind, kind of kept me in check, I guess is the best way to describe it. And she was also there to say, you know, if, you, if things are getting tough, you know, you need to let me know so that I can help you. So just having that kind of that shoulder to cry on or, you know, that person to lean on was really, really important. Then I, I look and I fast forward. So my wife has passed away. And so I'm going through a grieving process, which also has an impact on my mental health as well. And that's something that, you know, your listeners need to be mindful of is that grief can also have a huge impact on your mental health. So from a, from a getting support perspective, um, the, the group of, Primarily, it's the group of four people or three plus myself is four that we're all experiencing much the same sort of thing. And as a result of that, what helps is being able to relate to the fact that somebody else is also experiencing similar behaviors, similar feelings, all of those, all of those things. When, when, when it's such that somebody else is experiencing them, experiencing those same thoughts and feelings it does make it somewhat easier to go and to actually ask for further help and 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 to be able to move forward with you know whatever steps you need to take in order to 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 continue the healing process yeah i feel like having someone to really um relate to and because i have a friend who's anorexic and um, I don't have an eating disorder, but we have gone through like similar experiences. And so like, it really helps me deal with my problems a lot more because for me, um, one thing I have a lot, I have a lot of panic attacks and sometimes they get really bad. And especially when they're in school and I always have that friend to like, whenever I'm having, having like really bad anxiety, I just um, asked her to come and help me and we go and 
we talk it out and she helps me with, with things. So it's really helpful to really have that person to manage like stress and, and anxiety with. And, you know, you've touched on a really important factor and that's to, to be able to talk it out. And that is probably one of the most beneficial healing steps that we can take is instead of keeping it all boiled up inside of us is to, to feel comfortable, to feel safe enough that we can talk our way through it and, and be able to, and I get that it, in a lot of situations where I'm working with people or even with the, our, with my support group, um, that just being able to talk to somebody who is experiencing something similar or I probably similar is the best way to describe it. Just being able to, to talk to somebody who, who also knows when it's time to be quiet, just to let me talk. Right. Versus, you know, inter interrupting or, or trying to talk over or anything like that. I find one of my greatest uh, attributes is I'm a great listener. And sometimes I will help you get the conversation started. And then I become I become quiet, but I'm there to support you as you continue to talk your way through it. Yeah. Um, and for me, I feel like, even though like mental health, it's really hard. And obviously the illnesses isn't a great part, but like a great part of my life, but I did learn a lot and I'm still learning. And I realize I'm becoming a better listener and I can help other people with my problems. And I'm wondering, wondering if you've had like similar experience where you can help someone else going through the same and similar experiences. Yeah. And that's part of what I do is, is with, with the mentoring. So uh, the research that I did for You Are Not Alone for my second book, what came from that research was the fact that mentoring can be part of the support structure for, for mental health. So it, it, it does provide the, the vehicle that we can use to help people deal with what it is that they're, they're struggling with from a mental health, mental well-being perspective. So it does allow for that to take place. Yeah. So I really like, I really like what you're saying and like focusing on support. And that's like a huge thing in this society, like in this world right now. And so um, I like to talk a lot about what um, support is like for teens because um, I like to focus on teens because like I'm a teen and I also like to get my friends and the whole community involved with getting like teens um, talking about their mental health and getting help. So do you have any thoughts on that? And like, how do you think teens should ask for help and who should they like ask for help? Yeah, I, I from my perspective is that, you know, in some regards, when it comes to mental health, being a teen or an adult, it doesn't really matter when it comes for the point of asking or needing to get help is that we, we all need to be comfortable and it's easier said than done, but we all need to be comfortable in opening that closet door and reaching out and saying, I need help. So we need to be comfortable there. And 
what I have found is a lot of times as a result of reaching out and asking for help, I found a community of others who were also experiencing much the same uh, behaviors, feelings, all of those things. And it, it helped me with some of my healing in that I was able to recognize that there was somebody else that was experiencing much the same thing. Yeah. And so I like what we just, what, what you mentioned before, like having someone to relate to. And um, that's really interesting because I would also like to talk about what it feels like to be like undiagnosed and like feeling that something is wrong, but then not really knowing like which, um, onus you have so did you go through like that phase or that period of time where you're just like stuck in the middle and not knowing what to do and you know that something's wrong and you're feeling like really weird feelings and emotions and maybe feeling down but not really knowing what's wrong I, you know for me it was different it was I was a police officer and I was working and had had the symptoms of post-traumatic stress but didn't know it and and i i wasn't a nice person to be around at all i was i was a real first class jerk to be truthfully honest and that had an impact on on you know my family and family life and that and i really didn't understand well we didn't have support groups per se back then um you were kind of it was the old story of you know suck it up buttercup and just deal with it and i i really truly didn't appreciate to the extent that i needed to appreciate i didn't appreciate the fact that i actually did have post-traumatic stress until i had started the research for for my second book you are not alone and then i went Oh my goodness you know that that was that's me that's you know that that's my that's how i was behaving that's how i was oh my goodness i have done this you know horrible thing to my family where i you know when they were trying to help me i was pushing back and instead of ex accepting their offer to help and and make things better yeah because I've been also diagnosed with um, bipolar a while ago, and um, I like to accept it, but I'm still really not there yet because I, I kind of like, I did know something was wrong and I have like a few other like um, illnesses like anxiety and depression I've been diagnosed before, but like I never knew I had bipolar and it was like a really different thing. And honestly, when I was diagnosed with it, I didn't, I had no idea what it was. So I had to do like a lot of research and until now I still can't really like fully accept it. So what was it like accepting the fact that you had PTSD? Um, how did you really accept the fact that you would have to deal with this um, illness for a big part of your life? Well, it was enlightening to say the least in that, you know, I had, I had these behaviors that I didn't feel that that was me. And, and then once I was able to determine why I had those behaviors, then it was easier for me to, to deal with it. I don't know if you ever accept 
the fact because I think human nature being what it is, we're going to push back and say, well, that's not me. I would never, that would never be me. And, and then it is you. And so then, then it's a matter of what resilience factors can I put into place that's going to help me move forward with healing and being able to, you know, rectify the the hurt that I obviously caused, you know, other people. Um, I, and I've worked with, you know, I've worked with people who have uh, bipolar and it, it's, it's just, what I found was the more that I understood bipolar, the better I was able to respond to the needs of, of the person that had bipolar that I was working with. Yeah, um, and uh, even if a person has uh, um, has been diagnosed with the same um, illness, we never really experience it in the same way because when I researched about bipolar, like I saw like the uh, ups and the downs and like being manic and being depressed. And I've been in that depressive phase for a while. And I was like, oh yeah, that's me. But then I've never been like manic and I've never like overspent my money and never really went what people would call it like, crazy. And so like, I don't like being like labeled crazy or like moody or like impulsive or anything, but I did kind of like, um, not really accept, but kind of got to know that, oh, I have like some of the symptoms of bipolar. I might actually have it and I'll like try deal with it because having a diagnosis, um, although it's a little like confusing and it's a little messy, it does help because I can like search it up. I can ask and go like, this is a problem I'm dealing with. What can I do to help myself? And I, <clears throat> excuse me, and I, and I think one of the things that I have found is that number one, understanding the the illness and, and the symptoms is really important because sometimes I've I've seen where people have been diagnosed with bipolar and then two weeks later they're diagnosed with something else and oh you don't have bipolar and so it gets it gets confusing for you know not only the person who is being diagnosed, but their support structure as well is, is confused. Okay, so how, what do I have to do differently here to help you on your healing journey? Oh, now that's changed and I have to go in this direction. Yeah, I like, I totally agree because I, um, like I've known people who are, a lot of people actually with bipolar has been like misdiagnosed with like um, borderline personality disorder. And that's like a huge one that gets muddled up in between. So. I know like a lot of people on like um, in-person like support groups and online support groups where people have like just came and a week later went like, oh, I'm just going to leave now because I don't have this disorder anymore. And they're like, oh, boom, bye. I'm not here anymore. And so it's really confusing because I can imagine how their like support, like support group would feel like and how um, their parents and family would feel like when they're just shifting from like kind of shifting from one disorder to another not really like changing because of course they haven't changed yet because it's the same person but like the disorder has changed and feels like they're dealing with a complete different problem right now yeah and you know the the more 
the, the best way for, you know, for he, the healing to take place is to create that environment for those safe conversations to take place. And, and then, you know, is to have, to have something in place that's going to, so if somebody's going to a, a counselor, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or all of those things, what are we, what are we doing for them? for the time periods in between in between visits with those professionals and that's that's a, that's why i i'm i'm a strong proponent of mentoring as part of the support structure so that i know that i can i can go to my mentor and say you know gee i'm experiencing i'm feeling really down today i'm I've, i'm depressed you know or i've got a high level of anxiety because of all these things going on. What am I supposed to do? And the mentor can be there to just listen and, and hear and be non-judgmental and give that person the opportunity to be able to talk their way through you. You write their thoughts and feelings. Yeah, and um, like a really big part, I think, for mentors are like and like um therapists and like psychiatrists are what. Like you said, um, even though the session might be really nice and like a really nice chance for the um for the patient or for the client to really like remove their stress, but if they see um the um uh, therapist like once in a week or two weeks, there's that time in between sessions where they might not know what to do, and I don't want to rely on my therapist like my life is not revolved around those therapy sessions. So a really nice thing that I love when, like, um, when my, when people that help me actually tell me like how and can like take care of myself um, in between the sessions until the next time I get to talk to them about um, my problems and ask for advice. Yeah, you know, and what you've sort of sketched out is a great opportunity for that, we'll call it that mentor to be there for you, right, to help help fill in the time periods when you're not talking to your, you know, your therapist or your counselor or your psychiatrist, psychologist, you know, whatever, whatever professional help you're getting. Um, what I've found is that it, it does make a difference when the people that I'm working with, when they get the opportunity to have somebody to go to, to talk to, you know, and, and I'm experiencing that myself with, you know, now with, my mental health being impacted by dealing with grief that I'm, I have this, this absolutely awesome support group that I can go to. And a lot of times it's just, I, you know, I hear what you're feeling or I, I sense what you're feeling. And, and, and it's just to know that somebody else has experienced or is experiencing much the same thing. And I'm not, I'm not crazy or I'm not, you know, right. I, so it's so important to have that your entire support structure in place to help you with your healing journey. It's really important. It's, you know, if, if our listeners take nothing away from this other than to realize that it's okay to come out of the closet and ask for help, if that's the only thing they take away, then, you know, that's uh, that's a win-win. Yeah. That's, for me like the most important thing like for me this podcast is about defeating the stigma of like um hiding your feelings and to really um not 
cry in your bedroom alone, but really talking to people. And it's okay to cry in front of people. And it's okay because it's normal and everyone has cried before. So I really love like what we're doing today. And um, I came into this like Zoom call thinking that we'll be like um, talking like about specific mental health disorders, but instead we focus a lot on like support and help and I'm really glad we did. So um, unfortunately we're like running out of time, but I really appreciate you being here and I really appreciate you um, working with the time zones and coming in on time and talking to, to me about everything going on in the world right now and everything about mental health. And it's so great to have you here. Thank you so much and thank you for this opportunity. So as usual, before we end this, I would like to remind you to please reach out for help if you need it. Please talk to a trusted adult if you're feeling down or unwell. You can also call crisis hotlines and if you're in an emergency, please call your local emergency services. Of course, you can talk to me for a chat or for some teenage advice, but I'm not trained and not professional, so I would suggest talking to an adult or a professional in that area first. Please do not hesitate to seek help. Before we finish this episode, I would just like to say thank you for listening. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can add your suggestions, feedback in my Instagram bio. And I've started to share some mental health tips and share some updates on my website and also on my newsletter in which you can subscribe to. So I have also started preparing for an episode where I will read out your confessions and any questions you have on mental health. So if you would like to submit one, please go to my website, which you can see on my podcast bio and on my platforms I am live on. And lastly, if you're interested about my guest episodes, please go to my website to find more about that. So I hope that helps. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to my other episodes and hope you have an awesome day. Bye.